0: Welcome and thanks for listening to this message from City Bridge Community Church. Our heart at City Bridge is to call all people to be fully devoted followers of Christ. To learn more about City Bridge and how you can take your next faithful step with Jesus, check us out online at citybridgechurch.org. Now, here's the message. All right, this is the first week we've shown that even though we've had it on deck. I don't know, the last several weeks, but um, man, it's good to see a VCR, isn't it, for some of us in here? Um, We thought it would crush Betamax, and we had no idea there were better things coming like DVD players or digital. I mean, who could have seen that coming? So in light of awesome technology things, let me start this morning by asking you guys a question. What is something in your life right now that hasn't worked out the way you thought it would work out? What is something in your life right now that just did not work out the way you thought it would work out right now? Let me say it a different way. What's an expectation you have right now that has not been met? These come up all throughout life. You know, they're um, as far back, like there's funny things that like just didn't work out the way you thought. Like I remember, I went to Pierce High School. We're horrible at football back in the 90s. And I remember every single year, like this is the year. No, it, it never was. Like every year was two wins, eight losses. No college scouts were ever showing up. That was a missed expectation. We have missed expectations like in everything, right? What work is going to look like? Man, are we further along in our career than we thought? Are we more micromanaged than we thought? Are we making less in our direct deposit than we thought every, you know, every couple of weeks? We have missed expectations at work. We have mixed expectations as our decades increase. Like, when you're 40, you're like, gosh, man, I thought we'd be a little further along by now. 50s, 60s, 70, same thing. Man, maybe these expectations weren't mad. And some of us have really heartbreaking things. Like, our family doesn't look the way we thought it was gonna look. And that has crushed your soul. That could be with kids, rebellious kids. Man, we just live in a world where we have expectations that aren't being met. Sometimes those expectations aren't even communicated, but we live in a world where expectations just are not met consistently, you know? And there's no bigger place in that than marriage. And, um, you know, like, Leslie and I have been married for 21 years, and um, if you're married, you know what I'm talking about. You know, Wesley, she always jokes with me, man, I just have to keep reminding myself you can't read my mind. You know, she has said um, for the last several years, hey, Rob, I just want to remind you that if something happens to you, Lord forbid, I'm not going to get remarried. It's just too much work. (laughs) And I'm like, I get it. It's probably more work than I know it is for you. And, you know, we always have to keep going back and forth on expectations. And some of those are easier. Like some of those, like I I get, you know, home in the weekend and I want to be at home at you know, over the weekend, because like, I haven't been at home all week, and I just want to be there and hang out there and like do nothing. You know, my wife's like, I, I want to go having a conversation with an adult. I want to get out of our house. And so that's just one of those expectations we're always wrestling with, you know, and one of the expectations that my wife just did not see coming at all was how filthy men are when we first got married. <laughs> Anybody else come across that? Um, and what, what happened in our first year of marriage, we had an awesome, like, I don't know, 620 square feet um, loft apartment. It was awesome. We thought we had died and gone to heaven. And um, right when you walked in our front door over near Richmond College, we had our kitchen table. And um, I would walk in every single day, walk in, there was probably two or three between the front door and our table, and I would walk in, take off my shoes, and I would set them right on the table, right in front of me. Gosh, I don't know why you guys are laughing. at It was so normal. That was, my wife had a little stronger of a reaction than you just did. And look, now, 21 years in, I get it. Like, the shoes are the most disgusting place in the face of the world, and you're putting that on your surface where you eat. And that was an expectation. Leslie was like, I just didn't even see that one coming. <laughs> and probably what was worse She had to ask me more than once, more than twice. I mean, I don't even know how many times she asked me, but let me tell you, it took a while. And Thursday, when I was talking to friends about that, they were like, why would you even, like, I I know, why would you do that? I'm like, I don't even know, but it's disgusting. I agree with you on that. So marriages, you know, expectations are clearly seen and not seen in marriage. But it's also true with our relation with God. We put expectations on God that are not biblical. We put expectations on the person of Jesus that are not biblical. And when we do, something very similar happens to us. We are are discouraged. We are disappointed. We are heartbroken at times. And that's exactly where we find our disciples in Luke 24 today. And so if you have your Bibles, open to Luke chapter 24. And we're going to look at what Jesus looks like in living color. Like, um, what has happened in this passage? This is kind of the Easter passage. And from the time of Good Friday to Easter Sunday, the disciples' picture of Jesus has gone from in living color to very black and white. And they don't know what to do with it. And they are heartbroken. And so let me remind you before we jump at the passage we're looking at, The passage we're looking at today is a very common passage. It's called the road to Emmaus. But what happens right before the Emmaus passage is this. Um, It's resurrection Sunday. Three women show up to the tomb and they are met by angels. And those angels are like, why are you looking for the living among the dead? He's not here. He's alive. And then the angel reminds the three women, don't you remember what Jesus said? That that the Messiah must suffer to be crucified, buried, and be raised on the third day. Don't you remember that? The women go back and tell the disciples, and the disciples take off for the tomb. And they are just confused. Verse 9 says this, um, just says this, that the women returned from the tomb, and they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. So the two characters we're gonna be looking at today are part of that and all the rest. Remember, Jesus and his disciples, he had like the three, Peter, James, and John. The three were part of the 12, who you kind of know like seven of their names. And then the 12 were part of the 72. So the two people we're looking at today are part of the 72. And here we go. Let's read the passage. Starting in verse 13. It says this, that on that very day, two of them, two of the 72, were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near. I want you to like, if you've got a Bible, underline that in your Bible, Jesus drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing them. We're going to come back to that. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. You might want to underline that. Then one of them named Cleopas, let's just stop right there. That's never made the top 100 names you name your kid, you know, of 2021. One of them named Cleopas answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, what things? And they said to him concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But, great phrase underline here, we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. We're gonna come back to that. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things have happened. "'Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. "'They were at the tomb early in the morning, "'and when they did not find his body, "'they came back saying that they had even seen a vision "'of angels who said that he was alive. "'Some of those who were with us went to the tomb "'and found it just as the woman had said, "'but they did not see him. "'And he said to them, "'Oh, foolish ones, slow of heart to believe "'all the prophets have spoken.' Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, saying, stay with us, for it is towards evening and the day is far spent. So he went to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, blessed it, and broke it, and gave it to them, and their eyes were opened. They recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. Then they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road when he opened the scriptures? And they rose at that same hour and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the 11 and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road, how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. All right, here we go. Let's go. Um, I love this. Uh, on Thursday, a bunch of us were together, and even on Monday, and we were like, What is this passage even talking about? You know, there's so many strange things going on here. You basically have, just as a recap, two people who have left left Jerusalem. And this is, Jerusalem is all up on a hill, right? It's like crazy terrain there. And these two men are walking downhill in sandals. Let's just stop there. And they are caught by Jesus. Says that Jesus drew near to them. But he doesn't just do that. He totally steps in the middle of their conversation uninvited. Okay, that's a little strange. Then he asks them three questions, rebukes them, they ask him to stay in his house. He still, they still don't know it's Jesus. Jesus breaks the bread and they're like, oh my gosh, it's Jesus, poof, like Star Trek. He's out of there, gone. So what does God want to teach us through the road to Emmaus? Let's jump in. The first thing he wants to teach us, first point this morning, is that Jesus inserts himself into our pain. Jesus inserts himself into our pain. So there's going to be three different things that Jesus inserts himself into here. And then I'm going to give you an illustration of hopefully driving home because it's just strange. So two people are walking, minding their own business. Jesus, uninvited, joins that. They went from a twosome to a threesome there. Okay, so that's the first thing Jesus steps into is two people walking. Second thing he steps into is heartbreak. He steps into heartbreak, and he steps into an ongoing conversation. So let me ask you this. If someone just interrupted a conversation you were having, what would you think? You'd be like, I'm sorry. Who are you? And why are you talking to us right now? So he enters into a, two people walking, a conversation, and third thing he enters into is heartbreak. Remember what it said? They looked Sad. If you've got any Charlie Brown fans in here, you know when Charlie Brown's looking sad, right? Looking sad is very different than being sad. It's like obvious. But Jesus is also stepping into this place where their hope had been shattered. Their hope had been shattered. Remember what it said? We had hoped he was gonna be the one to redeem us, redeem Israel. And so you gotta understand, the sadness is deeper than you think with these two guys. I don't know. One may be a woman. We don't know. But imagine this. Imagine you have literally left everything you know know in your life for Jesus. Let me just give you a couple passages to hang that on. Luke chapter 9, where family in the ancient Near East is everything. And Jesus tells one of the disciples, let the dead bury their dead, their father. You must follow me. People 2,000 years ago would have been like, what are you talking about? I have to, I have an obligation to bury my father. Matthew chapter 10, Jesus says that when everybody misquotes, right, Jesus come to bring peace. No, Jesus says, I have not come to bring peace, but a sword that will divide families. Meaning when you follow me, I become the one you're allegiant to, not your family, which was foreign in that culture. It's almost like this. Remember how they had gone from vivid and living color to black and white? What essentially happened, and I'm not promoting poker here, but let me just use a poker example, right? So um, it would be like you were the last person left on the table with one person there, and you slide in all your chips there. Everything you brought that evening, you slide in there, and you hear the word raise. And you've gotta go, okay, I'm gonna go put up collateral. I'm so sure of this thing. I'm gonna go put up my house as collateral and my car as collateral and everything I own as collateral because I'm so sure this thing's gonna land where I think it is. And there's a bust and you've lost everything. Not just what you came with, you've lost everything. See for these two disciples, there is guilt by association. The fact that you left your family and your synagogue to go follow Jesus, you are now guilty. So Jesus steps into two people walking, he steps into a conversation, and he steps into extreme sadness. Okay, so what is that like? Just to make the point, imagine you're at your apartment complex or you're at your house, you're in your neighborhood, and you're really sad about something. And maybe you grab somebody from your community group or just a close neighbor or a close friend and you are minding your own business in your neighborhood and you're walking a 20-minute mile and some complete stranger is walking an 18-minute mile, gets right in the middle of you guys, which pushes you guys off the sidewalk. One's like, hey, what are you guys talking about? I'm just going to keep walking with you. You'd be like, what? Think about how crazy that is if that were to happen in your neighborhood. And here's the reality. See, the first picture we see of Jesus in living color here, Jesus just doesn't care how awkward it is. He wants to be right in the middle of your pain, your shattered dreams, your heartbreak, and your sad life. He wants to be right in the middle, and he doesn't care really what you think about that because he loves you. But put yourself in that scenario. What, what goes through some of our minds? When we're like, man, this thing is not working out the way I thought it was. Man, the two easiest places we can drift to, are, man, God just, he is distant. He just, he just doesn't care. He is distant. He's out there. Because if he was present, he would do something about this. Maybe like a sanitized version of God. Like, hey, until Rob Berry cleans up his stuff, And the mess he made, I'm just going to hang out of here. But as soon as you get your act together, Rob Berry, then I'll be really close and near. That's just the first lie we all believe. The second lie is like, he just doesn't care. He just doesn't care. God, are you there? Are you there? And I think just one of the most sobering places in this whole passage is that any time, At any time on that road to Emmaus, Jesus could have been like, guys, bros, hey, look at the nails. Like, guys didn't wear socks like they do today with sandals, but he could have been like, hey, look at the holes. And just, Jesus could have brought relief in, it feels like, way earlier than he did. Way earlier than he did. And the fact that Jesus, God himself, is restricting the sight of these two people can almost feel like he's having fun with us at, at our expense. That's where we can go and tell ourselves those lie. But what scripture wants to draw our attention to is Jesus is present. Jesus is present right in the middle of your pain and he wants to insert himself right in the middle of that. He doesn't just stop there right? He starts asking three questions. If you want to look at your Bible, verse 17, 19, and 26, Jesus is going to start asking them three questions. What are you talking about? What things? Was it not necessary? And so you and I, as the reader, are left with a strange question. Why would Jesus ask those two people a question he already knows the answer to? Why would Jesus ask those people a question he already knows the answer to? Well, if you have kids, you know why, right? You're trying to get them to a place where they understand what's going on. Happened yesterday. And uh, we don't need to get into what, but it happened at 910 Vinecrest yesterday. And um, I remember, you know, a guy that was a serious mentor to me, Tom, he had done a ton of marriage counseling. And I remember we were talking about just, being up here and trying to help people. And, you know, he's like, well, you know, what do you do? And I remember saying, well, you know, sometimes you just got to tell them what's true. You got to tell them their blind spots, what they can't see, what they, and he just looked at me, he goes, hey, Rob, hey, um," and he just said one sentence. He's like, really good counselors just ask good questions. And I was like, oh, okay, I'll take a note of that, you know. Jesus is asking questions that he already knows the answer to because he, he wants his disciples to realize what the problem is. And their problem is not that they can't see him. Their problem is they have a heart problem. They have an expectation problem about who Jesus is and what he was going to come to. So first thing, Jesus inserts himself in our pain. Second thing he does is that Jesus identifies the problem. Jesus identifies the problem. Remember, um, if you've had strep throat lately, you know, the, the, the symptom is you, your, your throat hurts, right? But the, the problem is, the diagnosis is, there is something downline causing that sore throat. We gotta treat the strep, not the sore throat. And so Jesus isn't coming here and go, hey, I wanna just pull a lever and relieve your sadness here. I don't want to pull a lever here and just relieve your hopelessness here. I want to help you see what expectation you bought into that is not of me. And we get a hint into what that is. Once again, in verse 21, when the disciples say, but we had hoped that he would redeem Israel. Now, what's wrong with that expectation? That sounds pretty legit, right? Well, what's wrong with that expectation is every good Jew in the first century kind of knew one thing. They knew a lot of things. They knew their Bible inside and out. But they all had the understanding that the Messiah, the Christ, the conquering king would free God's people from the oppression of Rome. And so when their Messiah is crucified and Rome is still in power, their expectation got crushed. But guess what? God's word never said that they were gonna eliminate oppression from Rome. Never said that. Good people with good motives had been reading scripture and just picked and choose what they liked. And they had interpreted scripture in a way that set them up for a failed expectation. Look at what it says in verse 25. And he said to them, O foolish ones, Slow of heart to believe all that the prophets had spoken. Was it not necessary that Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? Now, what's what's the problem there? They had a cultural view of their Christ, not of biblical view that Christ was going to suffer. This is now the third time in this chapter where an angel or Jesus himself is going to remind his people what I've been reminding you this whole time. That, listen, it's going to look like it's not going to go well for me. The Christ is going to have to suffer. The Christ is going to have to suffer. This happens at the end of this chapter, it happens in the middle of this chapter, and it happens at the beginning of this chapter. And if re- you rewind all throughout the Gospels, you see it all through the Gospels. Jesus is trying to set them up with the right expectations. Maybe the most famous of those has to do with Peter. Remember when he's like, get behind me, Satan? That all had to do with the expectation of the Messiah. Because Jesus is like, hey, I'm going to be handed over, crucified, buried, raised from the dead. And Peter's like, no, you're not. Uh Uh-uh. Not on my watch. And Jesus is like, get behind me. His disciples had missed the context clues throughout this entire deal that had set set them up for failed expectations. They have a they had a cultural, misunderstood view of Jesus. And if you don't think we can do that, you're deluded. If you don't think we want to make Jesus into an Americanized Jesus, I'm deluded and you're deluded. If you want to know how the church has made Jesus into a cultural Messiah versus a biblical Messiah, just go Google Jesus T-shirts. Just go read a couple of them. I'll just tell you like three I saw in the last week. Um, Jesus loves socialism. Does he? Somebody thinks he does. You know, I I saw a T-shirt with a silhouette of Jesus and a rainbow flag bandana, bandana around their head. Or how about this? This one may hit a little closer to home here. Um, How about a Jesus in an American flag shirt? Friends, we all do this. We all make Jesus into somebody who he's not because we just don't want to take all of scripture with what all scripture says. And the disciples have been in the same place and their expectations have led to discouragement and pain. Look at what it says in verse 25. Let's just go back to verse 25. What's your picture of Jesus? Like when you're in the wrong, what do you think Jesus does in that moment when you have blown it? Maybe even you weren't intentionally, these guys were not intentionally trying to leave something out. They weren't intentionally trying to ignore Jesus. What is your picture? How did Jesus respond and move to you in your lowest moment with him, here's what it says: "O foolish ones, and slow to believe." Now you might look at that word "fool" and you might be like, "Wow, that is harsh," because I've read the Book of Proverbs, and it's like, "Bro, you—I don't know which you want in the Book of Proverbs, but you don't want to be a fool." But here's what a fool is. A fool is just anybody who is not applying God's word. And this is now the third time in this chapter where the disciples are not applying what Jesus said, which is, I must suffer. I must be crucified. And it has ruined their world because they are acting like a fool because they are not applying the very words of Jesus. And so if you want to know just right here what you actually believe about God, it probably is, what tone does Jesus speak in here when he says, you foolish ones? Here's what I think about Jesus' tone here. It was kind, it was gentle. Remember in Romans 2, I think verse 4, it is the Lord's kindness that leads to repentance. The only person that Jesus ever got amped out and raised his tone with are the self righteous. Pharisees that would put a burden on God's people that made, moved it from about grace to about law, that's who Jesus had a hard tone with. Friends, if you've blown it intentionally, unintentionally, you just, you just missed something. Man, the tone right here with Jesus is, you foolish ones. Hey, let, let's go back over this again. Let's go back over this again. You know how I know that? Well, that's who God's character is. And second, after they have this conversation, they're like, Can, will you come stay with us? There's not one Pharisee that's like, once more Jesus. These guys are like, man, something became alive in me when I heard this man, who they don't even know is Jesus, unpack the scriptures, that it was all about him. I think it's a great place just to stop and ask yourself, if you're in a community group here, or if you're just in a deep friendship with Christians, I, I love how th- these people respond to a rebuke, to being called foolish. It says at the very end that it, that it made our hearts burn, meaning it lit something in us like a fire that was like, let's get more of this. And City Bridge, I think just an easy application here it's like when somebody in your life who is close reminds you of what is true in Scripture, when they inform your feelings with Scripture, when they inform your expectations with Scripture, when they remind you of the hope we have in Scripture, what is your response there? Is your response to get offended and to get wrapped around their actual how they delivered it? Or does that create a burning in your heart? It's like, thank you. Thank you. Come on, like stay in my house. Thank you. And for me, I got to tell you, it's not always come stay in my house. That's a great question. Just ask your community group this week is, hey, how do I respond when you rebuke me and acknowledge, you know, just an area in my life that's not what it should be? It's a great question to go ask your community group this week. So Jesus inserts himself in our pain, he identifies the problem, and third, Jesus is the point, Jesus is the point. I love it, like Emmaus was never the destination here, Jesus was, you get that? Jesus is the point, look at verse 27. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Let me just reread that one more time. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted them and in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. It's like what he's saying if you're not reading your Old Testament and seeing Jesus, you're not reading it correctly. So let me give you a picture. It's not modern because it happened 23 years ago. But who in here has ever seen the movie The Sixth Sense? With Bruce Willis. Okay. It's awesome. And I'm going to spoil it. If you've waited 20 years to see this, sorry. <laughs> because it is one of the most epic plot twists ever. There's a doctor named, played by Bruce Willis, Dr. Malcolm, um, forget his last name, but Dr. Malcolm, he's like a psychiatrist. And there's an incident at the very beginning of the movie where he's shot and recovers. So you think. In this whole movie, he's engaging with this kid that says things like, I see dead people. And you're like, what? You think that's creepy. He's trying to help this kid the whole time. He's trying to interact with his wife, but his wife is just growing more and more distant since the incident. And something happens at the very end of the movie where you're like, oh my. His wife is asleep and her hands relax, and the wedding, his wedding ring falls out of her hand and rolls on the floor. And he looks at his ring finger and realizes that's his ring. And in a split of a second, he realizes, oh my gosh, I'm dead. And you have all these flashbacks where there were clues all along the movie for him and the watcher, but mainly for him that he just couldn't see. There's a great line in there by the kid that just says, dead people see what they want to see. And in a moment, Bruce Willis has clarity on the narrative. And in the same way right here, where he's like, all of scripture is about me. It's about me. It's a crazy moment. And I got to tell you, like, if there was one place that I could have just been present and listen to Jesus, it is right here. Can you imagine, like, as he had unpacked the scriptures, like him talking about himself? Like as you thought, remember Moses brought them out of bondage of Egypt and delivered them from bondage? That that was a picture of me. I delivered you from the bondage of sin. Remember the ark? Remember how judgment was coming? And anybody that trusted in that piece of wood that was lifted up on the water, that was about me, the cross that would ultimately save you from judgment. Remember the wilderness where you were hungry and thirsty and there was no provision out there? And I brought water out of a rock, that's crazy, and I brought manna from the heavens, bread. Remember, I'm the bread of life. I'll make you not thirst any longer. That was about me. Do you remember the snake in the wilderness from the book of Numbers that was lifted up and anybody who looked at the snake on the cross would live? That was about me. Remember Jonah being in the whale for three days? And that whale finally spit him out. That was a picture of what was gonna happen to me as I was in the ground for three days and risen from life. That was about me. He says it like this um, in Isaiah 53. I think he for sure said this, went here, because their view of the Messiah was so broken. But he just said this. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him, the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. This is way before the first century. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Friends, Jesus is the point. He's the destination. Emmaus never was. And so look, we have things every single night of the week where you can grow towards health in Jesus. You might be here up here on Monday nights for um, reengage to work on your marriage, but if you're here for techniques and you don't get Jesus here, you're here for the wrong reason. If you're here Tuesday night for regen and you have the most immaculate, thoughtful inventory, step four, and you've crossed step five and six. And you miss Jesus as the point of all that, you've missed it. 3C, divorce care, grief share, women's, the nest. If you're showing up getting parenting techniques at the nest and you miss Jesus, you're not listening. Friends, tomorrow morning when you open your Bible just to listen, if you walk away memorizing a psalm or wherever you are and you miss Jesus, it happens. Jesus is the goal. Let me go to John 5, and we'll, we'll close here. John 5 just says this to the Pharisees. He just says, you search the scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. That you may have life. See, the Pharisees thought life were in the pages of a book. And Jesus is like, no, 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 the pages are about a person. There's life in a person, and that person is Jesus. That person is Jesus. Friend, I just want to leave us with just an application. You know, the application, where this thing ends, is when they finally see who Jesus is clearly, and Jesus vanishes At night, you never travel at night. There's like thieves, robbers, bandits. These two disciples, because they now had the correct narrative and expectation about who Jesus is, they start walking uphill back to Jerusalem, seven miles at night, because they had to tell their disciples, Jesus is alive. Having the correct narrative changes everything. And it's not a to-do list it is clearly seeing Jesus in living color. Last application I'll leave us with just has to do with that Christian community. Friends, there's no picture of a Lone Ranger Christian in scripture, it doesn't exist. Christians in scripture are always connected to people and a body of Christ. And so look, we've always said, if if this isn't the place, we'd love to help you get to the church that is. But I think this is just incredibly sobering for me Because we're not like Dr. Malcolm. We're alive. We have a new life in Christ. We're a new creation, 2 Corinthians 5 talks about. But when Rob Berry operates in his flesh, when Rob Berry wants to not yield to the Holy Spirit that wants to bring life and a clear picture of Jesus, I can convince myself of everything, of anything, and you can too. Because Rob Berry will see what Rob Berry wants to see in scripture, and so will you. And friends, we desperately need people around us to help remind us what is true about Jesus, his narrative, and where Jesus is in the middle of our pain. Thanks for listening. We pray this message encourages you on your journey with Jesus. If you found this message helpful, feel free to share it with others and leave us a review. To learn about City Bridge and how you can take your next faithful step with Jesus, check us out online at citybridgechurch.org. You can also follow us on social at CityBridgeCC. See you next time.